three chapters to lay out for us the wealth that we have in Christ Jesus. The wonderful things Jesus has already done for us. And they encourage us not to live our lives as though we're paupers, as though everything's upside down or falling apart, to realize the amazing things we have in Christ. And then with that knowledge, in chapter 4, he says, Now, therefore, it's time to walk. He calls us first to walk in unity. He calls us to walk in purity, to walk in love. He calls us to walk in harmony. We began to discuss that last week in Ephesians chapter 5, and we're going to be picking it up in Ephesians chapter 6. The same concept, walking in harmony. And here's the challenge for you and for me. Listen, in your relationship with the Lord, are you just making room in your life for Jesus? Or are you giving your life to Jesus? There's a vast difference. Have you, when you asked Jesus into your heart, did you clean out a little corner and say, okay, God, you stay right here. This is your part in my life. You can have this. Or does the Lord move from Savior to Lord? I said, Lord is more than just a, a four-letter word. Lord is a concept that says, I live my life for you, to honor you, to please you. The choices I make, the way I walk, is derived from following you. John would write to us in 1 John. He lays out, if you say that you abide in Christ, you ought also to walk as he walked. Basically, John says, it's, it's got to be more than lip service. We can't just talk the talk. We got to walk the walk. Well, what's that walk look like? It's simple, guys. He lays out for us in chapter 5 that he has a plan, a mission for us. And all of the relationships that we have in life, he has a mission and he wants to know if you'll put yourself under his mission. That's why he says, submitting yourselves one to another in the fear of the Lord. Placing yourselves under God's mission in the relationships that we have in life. We talked about last time. The Lord says his mission for wives is that they would submit to their husbands. That husbands would love their wives as Christ loved the church. But those relationships that he goes through, the things that he discusses, don't just stop with husbands and wives. It moves forward. Every aspect of our life, God has a plan, a design, something he wants us to walk in in regard to that. And, and we need to ask ourselves, am I willing to make him my Lord? Or is he just a savior? Or worse, is he just a ritual I do on Sunday mornings? Is it real? Is my relationship with him vibrant and alive? Do I say, Lord, I want to do your will? Well, listen, there's a lot of God's will. He's revealed in his word. Sometimes we say, yeah, Lord, but I want the other will, the will that's not written in the word. I want something else, something different. I'm reminded of the message that the Lord had as he shared the parable of those who had been given talents. He said to those who were successful in moving forward with what the Lord had given them, because you were faithful in the little things, I will make you master over many things. 
Jesus would say, if you can't obey me in the simple, in these parts, what makes you think you're going to be able to obey me in the other? And so our Christianity stalls right there on the brink of of an incredible success and victory, of the abundant life that Jesus promises. Because we come to that point and we're unwilling to open up our lives and say, it's all yours. Not just that little corner. Not just that little piece. He begins in Ephesians chapter 6 to talk to us now about walking in harmony in relationships between parents and children. I know the kids have been excited about this one. He begins in chapter 6 verse 1. Children obey your parents in the Lord for this is right. Man, we could stop right there, right? Children, obey your parents. Now first, as we take a look at this, a lot of people want to talk about, well, what does it mean to be a child and when is the age of accountability? Let me make it simple for you. The Greek word for children here is techna. It lays out or has an understanding that it's anyone of any age living under your roof. Children, obey your parents. Where are you at, Cole? Did he come to church today? He's playing hooky? Oh, bad time for the son of the preacher not to show up to church, huh? Figures he'd miss this sermon. Any child living under the roof, regardless of age, he says, obey your parents. He's going to lay out two reasons why we should obey. He says that that obedience should come first because it's right. It's natural. Across the world, we see this concept in every society. Children obeying their parents to greater or lesser degrees, but the concept is there across the board. Also, the fifth commandment, right? Number five of the Big Ten, honor your father and mother. Honor your father and mother. It's the divine law. It's a divine law that the Lord lays out for us. So, children, obey your parents. Well, let's take a look at this, this concept, this understanding. We want to obey. What does that mean? What does that mean? It means to listen under. It means that you have to listen to all the lectures your parents give. Oh, come on. You're kidding me. No, it's true. It's true. It means that you have to listen under or to listen intently to instruction and direction with the intent to understand and to do it. How many times, kids, you don't have to answer this, but how many times do your parents say, are you listening to me? (laughs) Yeah, a lot of times, huh? That's what they're talking about, guys. That's what they're saying. That's that concept of obedience. Listen, God says, if I'm your Lord... You're going to walk according to my instruction and my instruction for children. They're putting themselves under my mission for their relationship one to another. Is that they would listen to their parents. That they would hear what they have to say. And that they would understand and desire to do what the parents are laying out for them to do. Listen, Proverbs 4.10. Proverbs 4.10 lays it out. Hear my son, receive my sayings, and the years of your life will be many. Proverbs 10.27. The fear of the Lord prolongs days, but the years of the wicked will be shortened. Here's my personal favorite. Proverbs 30.17. 
the eye that mocks his father and scorns obedience to his mother. The ravens of the valley will pluck it out and the young eagles will eat it. It doesn't really say that. It does, but here's the point. No, birds aren't actually going to swoop down and peck out your eyes. What it is speaking about is when we listen to our parents, then we have the, the benefit of the wisdom that they've accrued from the failures and stumblings in life that they have already done. The most frustrating thing as a parent is to try to lead my child away from a pit I have already fallen in and to hear the excuse, well, you fell in it. Yeah? So you want to fall in it too? Yeah. It looked like a lot of fun tumbling down in that hole. Yeah. Isn't that the logic we bring? Oh, mom and dad did it. Mom and dad messed up. Mom and dad sinned. Mom and dad failed. So, so why shouldn't I? The scripture lays out for us children, listen. It isn't a lot of fun falling down in the pit. It's not a lot of fun stumbling and falling and all the heartache that comes as a result. So the Lord says, when we listen, when we honor our parents, your father and mother, which is the first commandment with promise, he says, that it may be well with you and you may live long on the earth. Now, it doesn't mean if you don't live long on the earth, you were disobedient. What it means is, in a practical sense, when we receive the wisdom that our mothers and fathers have to give us, We're going to miss some of those pitfalls in life. And we're going to be protected. So children, obey, listen. Listen with the intent to follow, with the intent to do. But listen, before we just pick on the kids, we need to also understand that that commandment, the fifth commandment, honor your father and mother has no age limit to it whatsoever. The concept of honoring our mother and father means that we fix value to our parents. But Jackie, you don't know my parents. Yeah, that's what your son or daughter is saying right next to you right now. You don't know the things that they've done or the things that they said or the things that they put me through. Listen, God's word in laying out for us to place ourselves beneath his mission is to honor the office of parent to fix value, to love, to respect, to revere, to honor your parents. Every one of us, all of us, there's no limit. We never outgrow our obligation to honor. And as I was going through and studying this and thinking about it, I had to stop and think, do I honor my parents? I don't know where it stops, but not really. I can go, I don't know, 10 years. No, I couldn't. A year anyway. Six months? Okay. I can go a long time between (laughs) reaching out to my mother and father. And I, when I think about it, I mean, to be honest, the reason is for things in my life that they let me down on. And what does the Bible talk to us about bitterness? Are we supposed to hold on to bitterness? 
Are we supposed to allow those things to affect what we want to do and the relationships that we have? Do I want the Lord to be Lord of my life or just a part of my life I'm comfortable with him being in? He wants to be Lord of it all. He wants that honoring. Honoring and loving my parents for always because of what they have done for me. Not because of how they failed. And it's amazing, the older I get, the more sensitive I am to that. Because I look at my own children and I realize I have failed them too. And I don't want them later on in life saying, I don't want to call dad, man. First thing he's going to say to me is, what, do you finally find your phone? And the first thing I want to say is, did last I checked, you answered one at your house. <laughs> Sarcasm runs in the family. <clears throat> the, we want those relationships to be under God's mission. So I want to live my life walking the walk, not just talking the talk. That means I honor my parents. I have to honor them. But you see, in every one of these relationships that we look at today, he doesn't just talk to one side. Isn't that a beautiful thing? Because he doesn't just speak to the children. Here's your relationship to your parents. He also speaks to the parents. Here's your relationship with your children. In verse 4, And you fathers, do not provoke your children to wrath, but bring them up in the training and admonition of the Lord. To you, fathers, he begins with the negative. The negative is, listen, don't provoke your children to wrath. And if you really get down in and dissect what he's talking about, he's talking about avoiding anything, everything that you might be doing within the life of your kid that would make them indisposed to rebellion or disobedience. Now, children are automatically disposed to rebellion. They don't need any extra help. So the Lord is saying, don't provoke your children to wrath. Don't build this seething anger within them that swells like a sap in a tree on a summer day that's waiting to explode, usually on someone else or something else. And most of the time, as parents, we know when we're doing that. We know when we're when we're being unreasonable in our expectation in regard to our kids. Or we know when we're being extremely negative, right? Fault finding. Everything that comes out of our mouth seems to be negative. We catch ourselves sometimes and think, wow, you know, I think I just talked for five minutes and didn't say anything good at all. You know, I I don't want to be fault finding. I don't want to be a, a parent who neglects my child because that brings up that seething anger. Where do we see that in the scripture? How about David and Absalom? David neglecting his children and the the rebellion that occurs as a result through Absalom. How about inconsistency? It's an unfortunate reality of our world today that we have broken families. What doesn't have to be the case in regard to those broken families is broken promises. How many times have we said, hey, you know what, son, I'll be there to pick you up on this weekend only to call later and say, oh, I can't come. Or maybe we didn't call at all. We just didn't show. Fathers, parents in general, don't provoke your children to wrath. 
the concept of it, as we take a look at this scripture, in Colossians 3.21 says this, Fathers, do not provoke your children, lest they become discouraged. So <clears throat> that which discourages a child, brings them down, tears them down, doesn't build them up, provokes them. Well, it's not surprising to us, right? We read in Ephesians chapter 4 that we should let no corrupt word proceed out of our mouth except that which is com- comes by grace, that it might partake or give grace to those who hear that they will be encouraged. Encouraging words, not discouraging words. Listen, guys, I've seen it. I coached football for 10 years. I have hollered at kids like only the football coach can get away with. I have had face mask in my hand, spit flying out of my mouth, wanting to know how in the world they missed that block or missed that tackle or whatever, whatever the case would be. But in those 10 years, I discovered something. When I came into coaching in the beginning, I thought I knew it. I thought I understood you just be mean and nasty and ornery, and that's how you make good football players. Yeah, no, that's how you break spirits. And I watched them break before. I watched them in, in a practice session looking at film. And I'm watching, now I have this unique ability when I'd go through film watching football with the kids. I could find every single thing they ever did wrong. I could tell you which foot they led with and if it was the right foot for that player. If they should have led with the other foot or if they had their head up or their head down. And so I'd go through film and I'd do that. And all of a sudden I'd watch these kids' heads just go, Ugh. Why? Because now they think I can't do nothing right. Provoking a child to wrath. Seething anger. They don't know how to do what it was I was expecting of them. So I changed my, I changed my, my tactics. And I began to make sure that I was pointing out what they were doing right. And occasionally I would focus on what they did wrong, and practice was a good opportunity to do that, but as we sat and watched film, I wanted to point out where they did it right. And now the kids would walk out of film with this concept, this idea, as they left film, I can do it. I can do it. I understand what coach is asking me to do. Oh, look, I did it right there. Look, I did it right there. Look, I did it right there. And then they come out encouraged, ready for practice and to perform. We do the same thing as parents. We have this idea, we have this vision in our minds. Listen, guys, I got it for my kids. You know, the day they were born. Ask little Maddie, she'll tell you. The day they were born, Mama and Papa had a plan. Oh, yeah. What's the plan? She's going to be the first female president. (laughs) First, she's going to be a heart surgeon. She's going to be amazing, the most intelligent little girl ever, next to her sister, of course. We have plans for our kids, don't we? We have plans for our kids. You know, sometimes we think our kids are are going one direction and they end up a different direction. And we get disappointed and we lose our focus and our vision for what perhaps God is trying to do in our child's life. Do not provoke your children to wrath. Well, then how am I going to know? Simple. Stop reacting and start acting. 
Stop reacting to the events that occur in your life and be proactive. That means I'm focused on my relationship with the Lord. I'm walking as Jesus walked. I'm pressing into him for understanding and knowledge. And I have discernment when my kids are off track at how I can get them back in line. Or I can just wing it. I'll just wing it. Hey, whoa. I don't know really sure what to do. I'm just going to do whatever comes natural. Bad idea. We want to press into the Lord. And he actually tells us what to do. He says, don't do this, okay? Don't be negative. Don't be discouraging. Be, be a, a parent that encourages their child to, to succeed, to move forward. But then he also lays out for us what he would like us to do, what he would have us to do. He says this, but bring them up. Listen, that phrase in the Greek means to nourish them. To nourish. To nourish and cherish our children. To bring them up. Let them be kindly cherished. One of the translations translates that phrase. Let them be treated tenderly. Bring them up. You know one of the things I discovered about my parenting? And that's easy to discover things about your parenting when it's over. Or sort of. And that is how many times I treated someone else, some other child with more patience, more understanding, more of something, and treated my own child a little more harshly. Maybe I expected more from my son, but you know, they're still children. And, and the thought that would go through my mind is simply this. Hey, you know what? <clears throat> my wife should be the woman in my life I treat with the most honor and respect, the most love of any woman. If there's a woman in my life I treat better, I'm out of balance. And when I look at my children, it should be the same way. Well, that doesn't mean I have to start treating that other child harshly. It means I should bring that same patience, long-suffering, kindness, goodness, self-control. sounds like the fruit of the Spirit. I should bring that into my relationship with my kids. To bring them up tenderly. Tenderly bring them up. Then he tells us not only to bring them up, but bring them up in the training. That word for training is the same as the word chastening or discipline. I'm to bring up my children in discipline. Discipline is something as parents we ought to be doing. And we ought not to be expecting someone else to do it for us. We're to chasten. We're to train up our child, to chasten, to discipline. Listen to what the scripture says about discipline. In Proverbs 19.8, chasten your son while there is hope and do not, let your, or do not set your heart on his destruction. Proverbs 13.24, he who spares a rod hates his son, but he who loves him disciplines him promptly. Proverbs 15.32, he who disdains instruction despises his own soul. But he who heeds rebuke gets understanding. Hebrews 12, 6, For whom the Lord loves, he chastens and scourges every son that he receives. 
Hebrews 12.1 or 12.11. Now no chastening seems to be joyful for the present, but painful. Nevertheless, afterwards it yields peaceable fruit and righteousness to those who have been trained by it. God's word calls us to discipline or to punish or to train our child. That we're to take that role. Uh, unfortunately, to date, some parents want to be their child's best friend. Listen, your kids have enough friends. They need parents. They need parents that will train them. But our discipline is to be done in love. What in our Christian walk is not to be done in love? Anybody help me out with that? Is there anything? You remember 1 Corinthians 13, right? Though I speak with tongues of men and of angels, if I have not love, what is it? Just a bunch of racket. What if I have all faith so that I can say to this mountain, be removed and cast into the sea, but I have not love? What is it? Nothing. Worthless. What if I have all knowledge, but I have not love? What is it? Worthless. Jesus said, they will know you are my disciples by your ability to memorize verses in the scripture. By whether or not you can quote the the alphabet of the Greek forwards and backwards. Or whether or not you have the ability to transcribe or write out the actual Hebrew letters. That's how they'll know, right? No, he said, they'll know you're my disciples by how you love each other. Period. So our discipline is to be done in love. And I have seen far too many parents who react and discipline outside of self-control. And the truth is, they need discipline. And if they need discipline, how can they then discipline another? You don't have to be mad to discipline. You don't have to be angry. Now, sometimes you are. Sometimes you are. The Bible says, be angry and do not sin. Anger is not sin, right? What is a loss of self-control? If I've lost my self-control, I ought not be bringing discipline. I ought to be looking to the Lord to chasten me. Get me back in line. Help me regain my self-control. It needs to be done in love with self-control. But it needs to be done. Not just letting them do Whatever they want to do, because I want my kids to love me. The Bible says if you love your children, you will discipline them promptly. He goes on then, not only to bring them up, not only to train them, but also in the admonition of the Lord or the instruction. Literally, the verbal instruction or warning, which is from the root to restrain or of blame. The admonition of the Lord means let your kids take responsibility for what they do. And stop being the one who gets in the way of all that. I don't know when that started happening. What do I mean? When I was a kid, and I was bad in school, Mr. Romo had a yardstick made out of aluminum. Oh, man. And we all thought that he was part blind because he, when he whooped us, he could never quite reach the backside. It always come right above the knees. Later on, I discovered that he did that on purpose because 
That hurts. <laughs> and when the teachers would call home and tell my mom or dad that I had been bad, and when I got home, mom or dad weren't on the phone yelling at the teacher for saying, hey, what are you doing telling my son or, or daughter that they're being bad in school? Uh, they're bad. They were not good. The opposite of being good is they were bad. It says, train them up, restrain them, instruct them. It doesn't mean that we don't listen to our kids when they come home and tell us, man, that teacher's got it out for me. Hey, I'm the first one to say, maybe, maybe not, but that doesn't excuse your behavior. Either what you did was right or what you did was wrong. If it's wrong, you're in the wrong and you need to take responsibility. One of the best things we can teach our kids is to, is to own up. Train them up in the admonition of the Lord. Restrain them from being wild men or women. Running rampant. Now, Jackie, this is a bunch of uh, uh, crazy talk. I'm not sure what you're saying. Well, let's look in the Bible. 1 Samuel chapter 3. Let's see what the Word of God has to say to us. 1 Samuel chapter 3, beginning at verse 11. It says, Then the Lord said to Samuel, Behold, I will do something in Israel at which both ears of everyone who hears it will tingle. In that day... I will perform against Eli all that I have spoken concerning his house from the beginning to end. For I have told him that I will judge his house forever for the iniquity which he knows because his sons made themselves vile and he did not restrain them. Eli is a prime example of a father who wanted to be his kids' friends. And it ended up in the destruction of his family. Rather than being a parent to guide and lead according to the word of God. Here's how he walked. You want the Lord to have that little corner of your life or is he Lord of your life? This is the way we ought to walk. This is how we ought to look. This is how the relationships we have in our life should be colored. Turn with me now to 2 Timothy chapter 3. 2 Timothy chapter 3, <clears throat> verses 13, lays out for us then, okay, now, okay, so if we're supposed to restrain our children, we're supposed to instruct our children, we're supposed to, to guide them, teach them, how do we go about doing that? 2 Timothy chapter 3, verse 13, says, But evil men and imposters will grow worse and worse, deceiving and being deceived. But you must continue in the things which you have learned. And been assured of, knowing from whom you have learned them, and that from childhood you have known the Holy Scriptures, which are able to make you wise for salvation through faith which is in Christ Jesus. For all Scripture is given by inspiration of God and is profitable for doctrine, reproof, correction, instruction, and righteousness, that the man of God may be complete, thoroughly equipped for every good work. In Deuteronomy, Moses told the children of Israel to make sure that they were 
teaching the word to their children. Why? Because if we walk as Jesus walked, those things are going to take care of themselves. If I teach my child to walk in the footsteps of Jesus, what a beautiful thing that will be. Instead of having my own preconceived ideas about what my child needs to be, perhaps my preconceived idea should be, Lord, what plan do you have for my son or my daughter? My plan, God, is that they would, or are we willing to say, God, what do you have? Because Psalm 139 tells us that their days were written when as yet there were none of them. God has a plan at conception. A purpose, a, a, a road for our children to walk. We as parents need to be tuned in to the Lord. Tuned in to the Spirit. So that we can instruct our children through the Word of God that they might walk where God is directing them. So we nourish them, we discipline them, and we instruct them in the Word. That's what we are to do. While we are not provoking them to rebellion beyond what they already have naturally running through their bodies. Through the Word of God, walking in harmony. Parents and children. But that's not the last relationship God wants to talk about, is it? The next one is slaves and masters. Now, before you say we don't have any slaves or masters anymore, uh, yeah, we do. We call them employees and employers today. No, Jackie, it's not true. I can quit anytime I want. Yeah, you could. But you're going to get hungry. And there's not a lot of options out there right now, is there? Maybe it's a little more like slave and master than what we thought. As we take a look, God has the way for us to walk in that regard as well. Bond servants, be obedient to those who are your masters according to the flesh. With fear and trembling, in sincerity of heart as to Christ. Not with eye service as men pleasers, but as bondservants of Christ. Doing the will of God from the heart. With good will, doing service as to the Lord and not to men. He says, hey, listen. For all you slaves out there or the employees who have a, a boss, someone over top of them. He lays out there for admonitions or instructions that the Lord gives us on, on how we ought to walk. If he is Lord, this is what my walk ought to look like at work. People, it shouldn't be me saying it, people should be able to look at my life and say, oh yeah, that's, that's just how Jackie is at work. That's just how he is when he comes in. That's the kind of person he is. The first thing he lays out for us is that we would be respectful, that we would be sincere, conscientious, and pleasant. Really? Yeah. Come on, I'll show you. He says, first, bond servants, be obedient to those who are your masters according to the flesh with fear and trembling. That is, Bible speak for reverence and respect. Be obedient. That means listen under what your boss has to say with reverence and respect as unto who? The Lord. 
The reason that I ought to be the best employee at work is because everything I'm doing, I'm to be doing as unto the Lord. That I am doing this serving Jesus in my attitude. Serving Jesus with what I do. Serving Jesus through this attitude of reverence and respect. I want to avoid hypocritical patronage that looks at my boss and and in my head I'm saying, Ah, who you think you are? Tell me what to do. I know what to do. I know I could probably do this better than he can do this. I could tell you that. That's not reverence and respect. Unless you can tell me if Jesus was standing down in front of you and said, Hey, you know, Jackie, I'd like you to go out and pull weeds. That be okay with you? And you're going to say the same thing to him? Somehow I doubt it. Somehow I think our attitude's totally different in that situation. But nonetheless, that's what God calls us to. Hey, if we want to walk in harmony, we want to walk as Christ walked, we want to hear His will for our relationships. That's what He's talking about. 1 Timothy chapter 6, Scripture lays out for us, Let as many bondservants as are under the yoke count their own masters worthy of all honor. So that the name of God and his doctrine may not be blasphemed. That those who have believing masters, let them not despise them because they are brethren, but rather serve them because they are benefited, because who are benefited are believers and beloved. Teach and exhort these things. The relationship that God calls us to have between employee an employer, first, that we treat one another with honor and respect. Employees, first, of the masters. Later on, we'll see masters charged with the same thing. To be respectful. To be bringing honor. Next, he tells us not only to bring honor with fear and trembling, but also sincerity. In sincerity of heart, as to Christ. As though we were serving Christ, no ulterior motives, no hypocrisy, no underlying sarcasm, just sincereness of heart. You know the word sincere, it means without wax. You guys all heard the story, right? When they used to do the, the, the statues and stuff in Greece, you know, you got that famous sculptor out there working on the statue but would put it three months of work into the statue with one fell swoop the nose gets chipped off what do you gotta you know how long it, it, it you don't just put it in a machine what are you gonna do we're gonna go get some wax we're gonna crush some of that marble in the powder we're gonna mix it together with the wax and put it on the nose and stick it back on And we shine it all up around the edges so nobody can tell. And you buy it and you put it in your garden. And one hot summer day you're out there thinking, what a great deal I got on that statue. And about that time, the nose falls clean off his face. That is not sincere. That is with wax. We want it without wax. Whole. Complete. Real. That what we do for for our employers is out of the sincereness of heart as to Christ. Then he goes on to say 
not with eye service as men pleasers, but as bond servants of Christ, doing the will of God from the heart. Next, he calls us to conscientiousness. What do you mean? Not with eye service. Remember I told you I was a coach, right, for a few years? We had this thing in football called the pit. The pit was what we did to make sure we never ran out of juice in the fourth quarter. We were a small school. We did not have hundreds of people to substitute in and out all the time. So guys had to be able to go the whole game. So the last half hour of practice was pit. It was all conditioning. I have a background in the Marine Corps, and every one of my coaches had come from or were still a part of the Marine Corps, and we were well-conditioned with the pit coming through the Marine Corps, so we just applied it to football. Now, the way it would work is you get the guys all lined up, and we'd be going through one particular exercise, whatever the exercise is. Say it's push-ups. And when they'd be doing push-ups, down, up, down, up, till we got tired. And really, standing there watching them doesn't make you very tired, so you can go for a long time. <laughs> but you know what was amazing? I could be staring at the guy saying, down, and they look perfect. Up, they look perfect. Down, look perfect. Up, oh, it's so beautiful. Then I would turn around, and I would say, down. How many of you think went down? I'll tell you how many went down. The ones that went down were sold out. Who were they ripping off? Themselves. Because the ones who put in the work were ready for the long haul. The ones that didn't put in the work, they ran out of gas. The Lord says to the employee, don't do it with eye service only when he's watching. You're doing it conscientiously as unto the Lord. Whether he's watching or not, God sees. Be the best you can be. For an hour, do an hour. For two hours, do two hours. Put in the work that is expected. Do what is expected, whether or not they can see or not. For the one who benefits will be you, will be the employee, will be the one, the slave, the one who has given his all. For the Lord. Why? Why? Listen, he goes on to tell us not only conscientiously, but pleasantly. Verse 7 with goodwill, doing service as to the Lord and not to men. With goodwill. That means with a good attitude. Oh, 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 wait a minute. I could do all of that with a bad attitude. I'm pretty sure. I'm right there with you, brother. I can do it with a bad attitude too. It comes natural to me. I don't even have to try to complain. Do you know that? I don't have to try to whine. Ask Fritz. He knows. What do you mean? Well, we'll be playing music, and I'll look up, and he's got some crazy key in E-flat where I'm playing 492 bar chords in a row. Now, for those of you who don't play guitar, it hurts. My poor little forearm gets sore. You feel bad for me, right, hon? My my wife's the only one who cares. The point is, our natural tendency is toward whining, complaining. How do we know? Children of Israel, right? Look at the children of Israel. Isn't that the way their lives were marked? Complaining, whining, that come easy. Having that pleasant attitude, that comes... And isn't it infectious when you got a guy as an employer who's working for you, who's sold out, pleasant, puts in a full day work, Never in a bad mood, man. 
That's gold, right? Well, the Bible says that's how every believer ought to be in the workplace. That ought to be you. Walking like Jesus walked. Him being Lord of your life. Him guiding and leading you. Him doing all those things for you. Man, we, we want to see that. We want to experience that. I, I, I want to know everything that God has for me. I don't want to be a sourpuss. I don't want to be a complainer. I don't want to be a whiner. I don't want to be those things. I want to be who Jesus wants me to be. Well, I can't just do that naturally. What do you mean? The Bible tells before we got into this whole section on walking in harmony, be being filled with the Holy Spirit. If I want to do it, I got to be connected to him. And he will give me the ability to do it. And then he says, not only that, listen. He goes on to say, knowing that whatever anyone does, he will receive the same from the Lord, whether he is slave or free. He will receive the same from, you know what that means? You know, Jackie, I did what you said, but my boss didn't appreciate it. I didn't get a raise. And, I, you know, quite frankly, I'm unwilling. The Bible says, do it for a reward from the Lord. You see, you're on a layaway plan. You're laying away treasures in heaven. And sometimes we focus more on the treasures here. Right? I'm all focused on what I can have here, what I can get here. What I, what I experience here, my success here. But the Lord says, hey, live your life like this, walking in harmony with one another, really being a Christian, not just a Christian in name, acting, walking, the Lord, guiding, working, doing all these things, having that pleasant attitude, all that stuff, working in your life, and then you look forward to your reward later. In heaven, you're laying away Treasures in heaven where moth and rust cannot destroy and thieves can't break in and steal. It's also intangible though, huh? Yeah, there was this couple who was a missionary out in Africa, spent their entire life reaching out to the, the, the folks in Africa, ministering to them. And as they were drawing near retirement age, they couldn't really do the things they had been able to do before, so they're coming back home. The same <clears throat> ship that they're coming back home on Theodore Roosevelt is on. He just had a big old hunting expedition, shot a bunch of animals in, in Africa. And when they got home, the couple noticed that when Theodore Roosevelt got off the boat, everybody was carrying on, newspaper crews were there, taking pictures, ticker tape. People are all excited, and all he did was shoot some animals. And the missionary was a little irritated. Sure. Spend my whole life in the African jungles reaching out to people with the love of Jesus. Finally come home and all they care about is this goofy president and who he shot or what he shot or what trophies he brought home. And his wife said, honey, you forget something. What? We're not home yet. Oh, yeah. I forgot about that. (laughs) I'm not home yet. This isn't where my treasure is. My treasure's in heaven. My treasure's in heaven. Listen, he goes on to tell us not only these things, but in regard to the masters, employers, and you masters do the same things to them. Oh. What do you mean? Uh, you masters do the same things to them. I don't, I'm not sure I understand. Well, uh, 
Scripturally, it's called the law of sowing and reaping. If you want respect, what should you sow? If you want sincerity, what should you sow? If you want a conscientious employee, what should you sow? If you want pleasantness in the workplace, what should you sow? So you employers, masters, do the same thing. Same attitude. The law of sowing and reaping. Watching God bring that great produce in the relationships of our life. And then he says, give up threatening. Knowing that your own master also is in heaven. And there is no partiality with him. Means do not mistreat your employees. Take care of them. Take care of them. Don't threaten them. Don't beat them. Don't do honorary things to them. Even though sometimes maybe you feel like that's what they deserve. Because the Lord says he's master of both. And when you stand before him, he doesn't care which one was the boss and which one was the employee. The relationship between one another is still to be a relationship of respect and sincerity and conscientiousness and pleasantness. Regardless as to who you are. Not of abuse. Not of taking advantage. But of giving what is due. I think it's been said. I, I, I believe in God, but I just don't like that organized religion thing. To me, that's a black mark on the body. For not really being who God calls the body to be. Lovers of one another. Treating one another properly. Walking the way God's called us to walk. Being who God's called us to be. In reality. Not just keeping God in a corner. But letting him shine in our life. Amen. We have an opportunity this morning to enjoy the Lord's Supper. So as the worship team comes up and we begin to prepare our hearts, let me share with you from the scriptures what the Lord would lay out for you and I today. As we consider all that God is calling us to and all that God is directing us in, he says, for I received from the Lord that which I also delivered to you, that the Lord Jesus on the same night in which he was betrayed, he took the bread And when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, Take, eat. This is my body, which is broken for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same manner, he also took the cup after supper, saying, This cup is a new covenant in my blood. This do as oft as ye drink it in remembrance of me. For as often as you eat this bread and drink this cup, You proclaim the Lord's death till he come. I don't know about you, but I look at the news and I say, even so, come Lord Jesus. At the same time, God calls us to occupy till he comes. To do business. To be who God's calling us to be. Our challenge is whether or not we will allow Jesus to be more 
than just our Savior, will we allow Him to be our Lord as well? Let's prepare our hearts for communion. This is the body, this is the blood, broken and poured out for all of us. In this communion, sharing His love. This is the body, this is the blood, this is the body, this is the blood, broken and poured out for all of us. communion sharing his love this is the body this is the blood I will remember everything Lord you've done for me I won't be granted the sacrifice that set me free. I hunger and thirst for you, Lord. Come fill us today. This is the body. This is the blood. Broken and poured out for all of us in this communion, sharing His love. This is the body. This is the blood. remember everything Lord you've done for me I won't take for granted the sacrifice that set me free we hunger and thirst for your love in your righteousness we long for your presence here, Lord. Be with us again. This is the body. This is the blood. 
drinking it poured out for all of us in this communion sharing his love this is a body this is the blood this is the body this is the blood broken and poured out for all of us in this communion sharing his love this is the body this is the blood this is the body this is the blood this is the body this is the Father, Lord God, we thank you for your body that was broken for us. We thank you, Lord, that you show us the way. We pray, Lord, that you would continue to encourage, call, empower us to be who you're calling to be. Today, Lord, we remember you. We remember what you've done. And we want to walk in that victory as well, Lord. We thank you for it in Jesus' name. Amen. Let's partake. Let's pray over the cup. Heavenly Father, Lord God, we, we do thank you, Lord Jesus, for your blood that was shed for the remission of sin. God, that you ushered in a new covenant by which you can fill us with your spirit and empower us to do, to walk, to be. God, may we surrender truly, truly surrender to the Spirit that you equip us with. And may we never forget, it was by the shedding of blood that you brought the remission of sin. Lord Jesus, we thank you. In Jesus' name, amen. Why don't you stand with me as we close out and worship?